Hello and welcome to episode number 39 of the Draft Analyst, presented by the Believe Sports Podcast Network. Do you believe? This is Chris Tripodi of DraftAnalyst.com. I'm here with Tony Pauline once again as we have all the latest news for you on the NFL Draft, free agency, and the intersection of the two. We'll also have thoughts on the SEC film work to finish this show, so let's get going. We've got a loaded show for you. Tony, we're going to start off with the news that broke just a few hours ago that Louisiana Tech defensive end Jalen Ferguson had his combine invitation rescinded because of a fight he had during his freshman year. What's the latest on this that you can tell? Yeah, Chris, I spoke with a lot of people over the past few hours. In fact, I spoke with someone just a few minutes before we started their podcast, and a lot of them are confused. I'm told that the fight in question occurred before Ferguson was a freshman at Louisiana Tech. He was on campus and getting ready for the semester. Now, whether that counts as whether as him being a true uh, freshman or, or semantics, I don't know. But it wasn't a situation where he had been in class for a while. I was also informed that he has no criminal record. Everything was cleared up. And several people I spoke with believe that this is a case where Ferguson, with Ferguson where they are basically picking and choosing who to uninvite from the combine due to off-the-field issues from the past. I've known of several players still on the combine roster that have had issues where they've been arrested or they've been disciplined for issues that are more serious than the ones committed by Ferguson. And I'm sure a lot of these issues uh, will come out during the combine or as we get closer to the draft. And once they are revealed, it'll be interesting to see the reaction, especially in light of Ferguson getting his uh, invitation being rescinded. You know, I understand what the combine is doing and I agree with it, with what they are doing. But my opinion, it's a slippery slope and they have to be careful. Yeah, it kind of seems like they're almost picking and choosing, like you said, which players to uninvite, which players to keep in. It's almost like when we had the domestic violence policy implemented and certain players got two game suspension, certain players got six games and had to be based on video. It almost seems like they make the rules up as they go along. And this almost looks like just another example of that. And the situation is, is, you know, this is a job interview. And if people feel that they are being treated unfairly, there's going to be repercussions. So I think what they really have to do is they're going to have to lay out exactly what the rules are. And those rules are going to have to be implemented or, or applied equally to everybody. Yeah, And this kind of gives us a nice segue into our next note here. During last week's podcast, we mentioned the belief that the draft stock of Mississippi State defensive tackle Jeffrey Simmons, who also did not get invited to the combine because of off the field issues in his past. We mentioned that his draft stock was directly related to former Kansas City Chiefs running back Kareem Hunt and also passed along word that Hunt would be signing with a seat with a team soon. Now, this week that blew up because Kareem Hunt signed with the Cleveland Browns, surprising a lot of people. Uh, not just because of when he signed, even though we reported different, but obviously the Browns already have several running backs and they just drafted one in Nick Chubb in the second round last season. Did you have any idea that the Browns would be the team Hunt would ultimately sign with, considering the history of general manager John Dorsey and kind of taking risks on guys that might have some checkered past when it comes to off the field issues? Yeah, well, it surprised everyone except for the people who listened to our podcast religiously and listened to it last week. But, you know, the honest truth is this. I knew the Browns were in the mix for Kareem Hunt all along. I work with a site dedicated to the Cleveland Browns. It's called the OBR, the Orange and Brown Report. And while I was at the Senior Bowl, I received a tip that the Browns general manager, John Dorsey, was pushing hard to sign Hunt, uh, which I reported on that site. Now, there were a lot of other people who felt that bringing Kareem Hunt to Cleveland may not be the best thing because 
That's where he got in trouble. That's where that video was from. But in the end, Dorsey got his man. Now, that should have helped Simmons' draft stock because that was domino one to fall to make teams a little more comfortable taking on his baggage. But as we learned also this week, Simmons tore his ACL during training for his pro day. Is there anything you can add to that story and any updates on Simmons? Yeah, I'm told it was actually he was training and I've not confirmed this, but the word is he was doing the uh, short shuttle when uh, he, he tore his knee ligament. That's still to be confirmed. But what I'm told is right now it's an eight to 10, 10 month recovery process. And from teams I've spoken with who've yet to examine him, they're saying that it doesn't seem they don't think that Simmons is going to see the field in 2019. So it's really a shame. Now, what does this mean for Simmons, both in terms of his pre-draft preparation and also where he's going to go on draft day? Well, you know, as I mentioned last week, because he was not going to attend the combine, Simmons was going to have a very hectic month of March and April as teams interested him, interested in him, would fly him around the nation for official visits. Teams would travel out to Starkville to work him out. Obviously, the workouts are not out of the question. But what's likely to happen is there are going to be a ton of physical exam and MRIs on his injured knee because he's not going to be at the combine. So he'll still be a very busy man. Uh, you know, as far as his draft stock, it's going to take a major hit. You look at some of the recent incidents where players were injured in workouts during the lead up to the draft, primarily Sidney Jones, the cornerback from Washington who tore his Achilles during the Washington Huskies Pro Day and dropped from a potential top 12 pick into the middle of round two. Last year, NC State defensive end Catavia Street was another example. He tore his ACL during a private workout, which was run by the New York Giants. Street went from a potential early third round pick and dropped into the late part of round four. Now, if there's any good news from Simmons, it's that this injury happened a lot earlier than the ones that were sustained by Contavia Street or Sidney Jones. Uh, but it's still bad news and he's going to drop. I think right now, the earliest that he can go is late in the first round, maybe tw uh, pick number 25. But I, I do think there's a the potential that he falls into the middle of round two. Now, as we creep closer and closer to the combine, are you hearing any updated words on free agents, such as what you passed along about Kareem Hunt last week? The only thing I'm hearing is, is it's been very quiet on the free agent front, which is kind of unusual because teams like to get meetings set up with representatives for the top free agents. But I'm hearing it, it has been kind of quiet. Now, remember, Chris, last week I stated that except for the pass rushers, teams are not overly excited about the crop of this year's free agents uh, that will be available in the market. And that really doesn't bode well for a team that has money to burn in free agency like the New York Jets. Another nice segue here allows us to move on to Le'Veon Bell. Now that Kareem Hunt has been signed, Bell will soon be a former member of the Pittsburgh Steelers. Obviously, he turned down a long-term offer from Pittsburgh last year that would have paid him $70 million over five years, $33 million of that guaranteed, all of which was in the first two seasons of the deal. Everyone seems to be assuming that Bell will end up playing for the Jets this season simply because they have a need at running back and they have a lot of money to throw around. Obviously, Jamal Adams has been doing his share of recruiting as well. It was recently predicted by ESPN. The media is talking about it. The fans are all over it. Tony, what are you hearing about Le'Veon Bell and the Jets? I'm told that a free agency was to open today and Bell was going to sign with a team. The Jets are really at the bottom of the list and, and at the bottom of the pecking order. And the front office has shown little interest in the big back. You know, while the fans and the media and even some of the players, as you mentioned, on the on the Jets roster, want Bell. I'm told, really, the front office hasn't made many many motions towards him. Now, you know, this could change, 
but I spoke with a very good source who told me he doesn't think Bell would be a good fit with a young quarterback, and we all know that Sam Darnold is the priority for the New York Jets. When I passed this kind of uh, question or, or hypothetical on to someone I know with the organization, they agreed with that assessment, but for the sake of transparency, he would not confirm with me that the Jets have or don't have uh, interest in Bell. You know, things can change over the next five weeks, but I got to say, where we sit today on February 13th, Le'Veon Bell is a long shot to be a member of the New York Jets. Now, if he doesn't end up in the Big Apple, who do you think the front runners would be for Le'Veon Bell's services? You know, right now, if I was a betting man, I think the front runners or the team that has at least shown the most interest is the Indianapolis Colts, as they have all the ingredients and the right mix. They have an established quarterback in Andrew Luck, who's a star. They have a developing, young, uh, dominant offensive line with players like Quentin Nelson and Ryan Kelly and the often-overlooked Braden Smith. And Bell would be an upgrade over Marlon Mack, who many consider a very, a very good number two running back at the next level. The question with the Colts is, will they be willing to come up with the money to bring Le'Veon Bell? There is some... Uh, talk out there that they don't want to spend a lot of money on, on one big free agent, although this may be the exception. So again, while things can change over the next five weeks from where we stand today, I got to say the Indianapolis Colts will be the front runner for Le'Veon Bell. During your two round mock draft last week posted on draftanalyst.com, you had the Arizona Cardinals surprising at number one, taking Quinn and Williams with that pick. Outside of you, it's really been widely believed, widely mocked that the Cardinals will take Nick Bosa based on their need for a pass rusher and obviously Bosa's talent level. Why Williams at the top for you over Bosa? Two things, Chris. First, Williams is great as my top player of the draft, and I have him ahead of Williams. I like Williams now. I think he's a terrific player today, and I think he's got a tremendous amount of upside. The other factor that played into the choice was a tip I received during the Senior Bowl, and that is the Cardinals are likely to cut Robert Kimdichie, their starting defensive tackle, who was selected in the first round of the 2016 draft. You know, Kimdichie has never finished a season healthy, and several people I've spoken with since the, t- since the Senior Bowl tell me that they believe that uh, the Cardinals will cut him. Now, despite that draft pedigree, Kimdichie has played just 27 of 48 games through his three seasons in the NFL. He recently had surgery to repair a torn ACL in December. That's probably the final straw on top of his generally inconsistent play for him in Arizona. He actually didn't record a sack until this season, had four and a half in 10 games, along with 32 tackles. But again, dealt with some injuries, obviously had the serious injury towards the end of the season. There's no doubt that he improved this year, but his 2019 season is obviously in jeopardy based on the standard timetables for ACL recoveries. And Arizona has to decide on his fifth year option in May. As it really looks, it'd be insane to pick that up considering it's guaranteed for injury only, and he's a big question mark in terms of health. So it really does look like the end of the road for Kem DJ in Arizona. Now we'll get to the recent film from the SEC in just a moment. But before that, please support the Draft Analysts by subscribing on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or any of the big podcast platforms. You can also find us at Believe.com. Leave us a rating and a review. And if you have any questions you want answered on the show, Tweet us at Chris Tripodi, at Tony Pauline, at Draft Analyst One, and at Believe Podcasts to get in touch with the show. We'll go team by team here in the SEC, and let's start with Alabama. In your recent pre-combine rankings from the conference, five members of the Crimson Tide received first-round grades. Tony, what can you add to that? 
Well, I'm not going to rehash about any of the top Crimson Tide prospects as they're going to be talked about ad nauseum between now and draft day. But I'm going to tell you, one guy who really impressed me on film was Christian Miller, the outside linebacker. He's the guy who came into the season with a, with a six-round grade, but when you watch him on film, he's omnipresent. He's a good run defender. He's good in coverage, especially in zone coverage. He's fast up the field, off the edge on the blitz. And really, he showed himself to be a three-down defender. I have him right now as a third-rounder. Want to see what he runs at the combine. Uh, but really, he was the guy who you know, I got the, I got the most from compared to what I expected with Alabama. And one thing that really stood out to me about Alabama is, I mean, man, they just reload. And guys that are going to replace uh, the Christian Millers and the Quinion Williams and, and the Mac Wilsons are not only going to be good players for Alabama next year, but are going to be future superb NFL prospects. When I watched the film, Anthony Jennings, number 33, just constantly popped out on me, as did Dylan Moses, their other linebacker. So they're going to lose Christian Miller and they're going to lose Mac Wilson. But Anthony Jennings and Dylan Moses is going to co- will come in, be outstanding players for the Crimson Tide, and then be highly rated NFL prospects moving forward. They're going to lose Deontay Thompson, the, the safety, and Savion Smith, the cornerback. But Patrick Sertain looks like a dominant future uh, NFL prospect at the cornerback position. When I watched the offensive line and I was scouting Jonah Williams and Lester Cotton, I mean, one guy that really stood out to me was number 65, Deontay Brown, the big-bodied uh, offensive guard. And, and he's a guy who's going to be a good player for the Tide next year. He's going to be a dominant, uh, he's going to be a, a top-rated NFL prospect. He, he, they lose the two running backs and Josh Jacobs and Damian Harris. They got Najee Harris. You know, you know, look at their uh, the Jerry Judy and, and Jalen Waddle, the receivers that are coming in, who are going to be good college receivers and, and terrific NFL prospects. So a week ago, we gushed over Bill Bell Belichick and what a great job he's done uh, with the Patriots, getting players to play up to their ability, slotting them in. If there is a college equivalent of Bill Belichick, it's got to be Nick Saban, who does just a great job scouting talent, recruiting talent, and then getting it to play up to its potential. I mean, every year we look at the Alabama roster and we see that there's talent there and we've seen guys that have played previously. You know, Anthony Jennings is obviously a good example of it this year heading into next year but they're not viewed as number one prospects or first round picks. Then you have a guy like Quinnen Williams, third rounder or so entering the season. Now he's number one in your mock drafts. That just goes to show how deep the Alabama program is. You have guys there probably on the three deep that would start at most other college football programs, even ranked teams. So it's really just impressive the talent that Saban's able to not only recruit there, but that he's able to keep there. Now that everybody wants to transfer when they don't play their freshman season, especially if they're able to become immediately eligible. You have Nick Saban keeping these talented players there. Obviously, he rotates people in. They see a lot of fourth-quarter action and blowouts, but he's really able to keep talented freshmen on the roster rather than seeing them transfer out, which is really you know a boon to the Alabama program. Yeah, and, and it's just never-ending. I mean, you know, when, when you think last year they lost all those players in the defensive backfield that were drafted or were signed as free agents, and now they're going to have another uh, first-round pick in Deontay Thompson. So more power to them. That's why they're always at the top of the rankings. Now we'll move from a typical draft hotbed to a school that really isn't. That's the Arkansas Razorbacks. They did have two players in the major postseason games this offseason. Linebacker Drake Greenlaw was at the Senior Bowl. Tackle Brian Wallace was at the East-West Shrine game. But besides those two, 
There's an under-the-radar Razorback who impressed this season. Who am I talking about, Tony? Yeah, that's guard Hajalte Froholt, who uh, was good coming into the year, who's graded as a, a middle-round choice and really had a, a terrific senior season. A guy who plays with great fundamentals. He's strong. He's smart. I spoke with somebody at the Senior Bowl, and there were a lot of people who were uh, surprised if not disappointed that Froholt did not get a Senior Bowl invite. I think he's one of those guys at the guard position who's kind of under the radar but's going to surprise come this September in an NFL camp. Now, moving away from Arkansas, we'll head to Auburn here, where we were both impressed by Jarrett Stidham's performance at the Senior Bowl after what was widely viewed as really an underwhelming 2018 season. After digging further into the film and watching Stidham game by game, what did you make of his campaign overall? You know, not as consistent, which really shouldn't be that surprising. You come, Coming into the season, I thought that Stidham could compete to be one of the top quarterbacks selected, potentially a, a late first-round choice. Really didn't. I mean, when the season was over, we're talking about him as a fourth-rounder. Now, after the Senior Bowl, we think he could hop back into the second round. The thing was, is he was very indecisive. He was late with his throws. Uh, the receivers didn't help him. He was getting pressured. You know, uh, Auburn did not have the running game that they've had in the past, which I think hurt him, uh, which is which did hurt his draft stock. He did pull it together at the senior bowl. But I think when they go back and watch the film on Stidham, the, the, they being NFL uh, scouts and, and uh, scouting departments, they're going to have a lot of questions, which he's going to have to answer to at the combine, which he probably was asked uh, during the senior bowl. And he'll be asked uh, during those uh, one-on-one workouts and when teams bring him in for, an, for a uh, private visit. Yeah, we've talked kind of at length about Stidham and his strange fit in the Auburn offense, not really conducive to his more NFL-geared skill set. But at the same time, you would still expect a guy like that to at least come up in big moments and, and shine when the lights are brightest, because that's what you want to see out of a potential NFL starting quarterback. Stidham really didn't do that. He didn't take the bull by the horns in the fourth quarter when it was his time, when he could kind of break free from some of the shackles of the offense and just make plays. So it'd be really interesting to see how NFL teams evaluate him based off of, obviously, his 2017 film was good, took a step back this year, has shown well so far in the offseason. So he's really one of the more intriguing guys to watch, I'd say, in the entire draft, not just at the quarterback position. Again, your quarterbacks are usually overdrafted. They usually go higher. I think that Stidham has a lot to offer, and he could be one of the surprise early selections this year. Now, Florida is likely to have two players selected in the first round. We'll start on the offensive side of the ball, where tackle Juwan Taylor is probably going to be the first Gator drafted. He's a possible top 12 pick. What did you see on film from Taylor that you like so much? He's big. He's strong. He's dominant. He controls opponents. He gets great movement, run blocking, solid in pass protection. I think the only thing that may hamper him is when you watch the film, he is strictly a right tackle prospect. I don't even think he's one of those guys that, say, a Lane Johnson type that can play left or right tackle. I think he's strictly a right tackle prospect. Still going to be very good. And, you know, kind of the right tackle position has kind of went from a situation where it was big and mobile guys who were taken late in round one to more guys who have more athleticism who were selected earlier. The only downside with Taylor is I, I think – think he's strictly a right tackle prospect there's no way any team's going to stick him over on the left side we'll bounce over to the defensive side of the ball where pass rusher Jakai Polite is the obvious headliner for the Gators there but you also like two of his teammates which of the other guys impressed on the Gator film Chauncey Gardner Johnson the defensive back some consider him a safety some consider him a cornerback and Vosine Joseph the linebacker they were 
both outstanding on film. I mean, Gardner Johnson shows great ball skills. He's explosive. He's got suddenness to his game. He is a feisty guy who likes to defend the run, quick up the field to help stop screen passes. Not the biggest guy in the world. He's not a big safety. Some people project him to a cornerback. I think he's going to be a very good nickelback at the next level. You can put him over the slot receiver. He'll do an outstanding job for you. Gardner Johnson was just outstanding on film, as was Vosin Joseph, another guy who's small. He's probably going to be at most 225 pounds if he's 225 pounds, but he's very explosive, great in pursuit. I mean, just runs down ball handlers, uh, sells out on a blitz, not too forceful up the field, but it's not because of lack of effort. Uh, Joseph is really what a lot of teams want linebackers uh, these days. A guy who you stick him in the middle of a 3-4, you let him run to the ball, he gets from point A to point B quicker than hell, and he makes the plays. So I think Joseph could surprise on draft day because of his speed, because of his athleticism, because of his ability to chew up ground in a uh, short period of time. Now head up the coast here and we'll look at the Georgia Bulldogs. The first name on everybody's mind when you look at the Georgia roster is cornerback DeAndre Baker. But in your opinion, he's not even the best DeAndre on his own team. Why is that and and who are we looking at? I like DeAndre Walker, the outside linebacker. I mean, he was a guy on film constantly making plays, forcing the action. Didn't have the same mental lapses that DeAndre Baker, who seems to be everyone's favorite, did. A guy who got out in space and made plays in pursuit was constantly forcing the action, either sacking the quarterback or or making the quarterback move his feet. Also did a good job uh, against the run. I mean, when he was on his game, he was a game changer on the defensive side of the ball. I liken his game, for better or worse, to former Bulldog Leonard Floyd entering the draft. Now, in our podcast from the Senior Bowl, you had mentioned that Walker had a groin injury which kept him out that week. Are there any updates on his offseason progress from that injury? Yeah, Walker had surgery for a sports hernia the Wednesday of senior bowl practice. That was the day that practice was moved indoors due to inclement weather. He won't be participating in combine workouts, but he will get a workout in prior to the draft. If it's not during George's pro day, he'll hold an individual workout. Now, we were both impressed by safety Mike Edwards and cornerback Lonnie Johnson out of Kentucky during our senior bowl coverage from Mobile. Running back Benny Snell Jr., is the headliner for the Wildcats on offense. We'll look at him since we've obviously talked a lot about Edwards and Johnson individually. Where do you think Snell lands in the draft, and what type of back do you expect him to be at the next level? He's not as highly rated as I initially thought. I I thought that he was a potential second-round back. After watching him on film, I've moved him to the third round, could go fourth round. You know, he's a bigger guy. He doesn't have that great quickness. He shows some short area quickness, but he's not going to be able to create yardage. But it's not because of lack of effort. I mean, he's a three-down player who does the little things well. He's an outstanding interior runner. He's a very good pass catcher out of the backfield. Uh, He can also block. He's got some chippiness to him. And personally, when I watch him play, we talked about Le'Veon Bell uh, a little bit earlier. You know what? Benny Snell may be the perfect fit for the, uh, for the Pittsburgh Steelers and maybe be the perfect replacement for Le'Veon Bell. There's always a lot of debate and opinion on cornerbacks heading into the draft. A lot of analysts have Washington's Byron Murphy at the top. LSU's Greedy Williams is also likely to be a mid-first rounder. Looking at the Bayou, where do you stand on this pairing? And, and is there anything else you see out of the Tigers program? You know, I I think Williams is significantly ahead of Byron Murphy. It's not because Byron Murphy is bad. It's just that Byron Murphy doesn't have the great size. 
Murphy probably has more polished ball skills than Williams, but Williams has got much higher upside. He just has to learn to be more consistent making plays with his back to the ball. He's physical. He's aggressive. He's fast. He's a terrific athlete. Does a great job covering receivers on the crossing patterns. Just want to see him be a little bit more instinctive when the ball's in the air. But Murphy, I think, is more of a mid-first-round choice. I'd be surprised if Williams, from what I see right now, makes it out of the top ten. Now, do you have any concerns when it comes to Greedy Williams? Obviously, he has good length, which allows him to really recover and close quickly. Are you concerned with a little bit of the grabbiness that he has down the field, or is that not really an issue for you? It's not really a concern for me. You know, a lot of college cornerbacks do that. But the bottom line is this, is Williams has the ball skills to play at the next level. Now, the big news out of Old Miss this week was a photo of wide receiver DK Metcalf that went viral on the Internet. He... Let's just say he's quite big and quite ripped in said photo. His ab muscles seem to kind of have ab muscles of their own. It's really quite impressive uh, just how physically impressive he looked. I'm using the word impressive a lot because that's just what the picture looked like. You can really tell he's been putting in work in the gym since his neck injury that ended his season early. Kind of brings back memories of former Ohio State receiver David Boston, who's a guy who probably got too big for his own good. You hope that's not the case with Metcalf in terms of flexibility and being able to you know, turn to catch passes behind him, things like that. There are a lot of people that believe Metcalf is a top 15 pick in this draft. You have him graded as a second rounder. Why don't you see him as a top 32 prospect? Well, the fact is he is too big. And someone I spoke with earlier today said, if you ever meet him in person, he's the biggest human being you're going to see. And that picture is going to hurt his draft stock more more than it will help. Because as you said, you know, he may look good on the, on the podium during weigh-ins, but teams are going to say, the guy is too tight, too big to play receiver. And that really comes off on film when you watch him, even before he started this uh, combine training, because he's very unpolished. He shows no quickness. He has a limited burst. It's more built-up speed. I mean, I watched film where he was running out of bounds on routes because he showed no awareness. Uh, He's a good athlete, but he's an unpolished receiver and a big-bodied guy who beats down opponents on the college level. He's going to make a lot of highlight reel type of receptions, but I think it's going to take a while for him to make the transition into the NFL because it's it's about more than just winning out for the contested throws. It's about more than coming away with the 50-50 grabs. He's going to have to find ways to get separation, whether that separation is within the first five yards off the line of scrimmage from the snap of the ball, whether it's running routes, or whether it's downfield separation. And he really doesn't do any of that good right now. We'll see what happens in the future, but he's got a ways to go. And then, of course, there's the issue with the neck. I am told that everything will be fine with his neck. People tell me it shouldn't be a problem. But still, you know, teams see that differently. And, and combine medicals are a lot more intense uh, than what we're hearing, what you hear on the outside. So there's just a variety of things that I don't think he's a top 32 pick right now. Uh, just a lot of concerns and, and the fact that it's going to take him a while to be NFL ready. And obviously Metcalf has tons of big play potential. He's produced very well there, but I think the combine will be very key for him, not just because of the injury, which, as we talk about all the time, is kind of the underrated part of the combine that a lot of people don't look at. They're more concerned with 40 times and things like that. I'm not even really concerned with Metcalf's 40 time because, as you said, his built-up speed is very good. I want to see his shuttle times. I want to see his agility. I want to see his 10-yard split. I want to see what he's able to do As an athlete, when it doesn't come to just pure size and pure speed, I want to see quickness. I want to see agility because if you do see that in combine workouts, even if it's not on tape, you at least look and say maybe there's some untapped potential. Maybe it's something that he can do and just hasn't done. 
Whereas if he struggles in those drills, it really does kind of look like it's going to be something that really hinders his game at the NFL level. Yeah, I think what happens is is people get too hooked up, even some draft analysts, on the fact that he's a big guy and he's making great receptions on the college field. It could be DK Metcalf. It could be Nikhil Harry, who we're going to talk about in an upcoming podcast. It could be Hakeem Butler. I mean, look at Alan Lazard last year. It's not just winning out for the 50-50 throws. You have to find ways to get separation at the next level because the defensive backs that you're playing are going to be bigger, faster, more athletic, and more explosive than the ones you played on Saturday. Now we'll head over to Mississippi State, where we spoke about Jeffrey Simmons earlier, so we'll bypass him here. Let's talk about Montez Sweat, Tony. We were a bit concerned watching him at the Senior Bowl. He was handled a bit by Alabama State Titus Howard. Certainly a good prospect in his own right, but a guy that you really wanted to see Sweat beat consistently play in and play out. Did watching the film quell any of your concerns? It did from an effort uh, standpoint. I mean, I saw Sweat give a lot of effort against the run. He's got to get bigger. He's got to get stronger. But you can see the basis is there for potentially being a good run defender down the road. Uh, you know, that, that thin build still does bother teams a, a bit. We'll have to wait and see what happens. But again, you know, it wasn't because of lack of effort, which is a good sign. Now we'll move on to Missouri here. The talk surrounding the Tigers always seems to center on quarterback Drew Locke. Rightly so, he's going to be drafted very highly, whether we feel he's a first-round prospect or not. I know you're also fond of his top receiver, Emmanuel Hall. Now, Hall was supposed to be at the Senior Bowl, but declined, possibly due to a lingering groin injury that kept him out for most of the Liberty Bowl. What do you like about Hall's game? What do you dislike about him? Kept him out for not only the Liberty Bowl, but a good portion of last season. You know, Hall is a great athlete that's a very good receiver. He has the vertical speed to beat defenders down the field, but he also catches the ball well. He runs good routes. He separates. He's fundamentally sound. Some of the things that I'm concerned about with DK Metcalf can't do, Hall can do. Struggled with injuries last season, but if you watch the film, there were a number of times where he had the defensive back beaten by a yard or two and had to slow up in the route to wait for the pass from Drew Locke to arrive because of Locke's inaccuracy or poor timing. Really like Hall a lot. I think he's a guy who, outside of the top 60 picks, he's going to be good value if he stays healthy, shows some durability, and continues to progress. Now, one concern I've seen bandied about, and I've also seen on the film with Hall, is drops. He drops a lot of passes. Is that, for you, more of a concentration issue and something that can be cleaned up, or is it more of a fundamental issue that may continue to plague him down the line as a sign of his potential downside? I didn't have problems with his fundamentals. He doesn't do much body catching. He extends his hands and catches the ball away from his frame. The thing is, when you watch the Missouri film, there are a lot of players who drop balls. So the question is, is is it the pass catcher or is it the quarterback? Is the quarterback not delivering catchable throws? Is he not putting good spin on the ball? Is he not basically, you know, putting touch on throws um, when he should? It's an interesting question. I have no problem with Hall's fundamentals at all. Entering the season, we're moving on to South Carolina here. Tackle Dennis Daly was given a third round grade by scouts. You stamped him as a third or fourth rounder. So your opinion was more or less in line with the general consensus on Daly. However, his senior bowl week was pretty poor. Did you see anything on film that gave you renewed hope for his draft stock? You know, I thought he was much better on film uh, during the 2018 season than what we saw at the senior bowl. Good fundamentals. Really wasn't beat much on film at all as compared to the senior bowl. The one thing I did notice on film is he played left tackle at South Carolina. I think you're going to have to slide him over to right tackle at the next level because I don't think he has the pure footwork or foot quickness or lateral range to, stay, to hold down a left tackle spot in the NFL. 
Winding down here with the SEC, we're going to head to Texas A&M. There's two underclassmen who I know really impressed you, Tony. Tell us what you think. Yeah, first would be our linebacker, Terrell Dodson, who over the summer I graded as a potential second, third-round choice. I think he's more of a third-round guy. I don't think he had the same sort of season in 2018 as he had in 2017, or maybe the better way to explain it is I don't think he showed the same progress that I thought he he should have, although there was a coaching change there. But the fact is this. He's fast. He's explosive. He gets from point A to point B very quickly. We talked about Vosine Joseph of Florida in the same manner. Well, Dotson's a little bit bigger than uh, than, uh, Vosine Joseph. He's a little bit more forceful. He's probably a little bit better in coverage as well. So really like Dotson. His ability to pursue the action with speed, he's going to have to get bigger and stronger because he gets taken from the action by blocks or the first hit on him, he, he's knocked off balance, but that should come. I was also really impressed with tight end Jay Sternberger. I mean, he's a guy who I don't want to say he's an Irv Smith, looks like a big receiver or, or, or looks like a, a possession receiver in a tight end body, but he has that sort of ability. He's quick off the snap, immediately gets the top speed runs solid routes for a bigger guy, catches the ball extremely well, whether he's in the open field by himself or whether he's battling in a crowd. Doesn't do a bad job blocking, although they didn't really ask him to do it all that much at uh, Texas A&M. You know, I reported from the Senior Bowl that there were people there who told me that they preferred Dawson Knox of Mississippi over Jay Sternberger because they thought that Dawson Knox was a better athlete and would be a better tight end down the road. After watching the two on film, I don't know that I agree with that because what I saw from Jay Sternberger was a really good athlete who showed some dominant abilities, especially as a pass catcher at the tight end position. Now, finally, we're going to finish this off and head to Vanderbilt. A guy you stamped as a potential day two pick over the summer, junior defensive back Juwan Williams, really had a solid season. Do you still feel that way about him? Do you like him more than you might have over the summer? Do you like him less or are you about the same? Uh, it's probably about the same, although we want to wait till combine workouts, and I'll tell you what I mean by that. You know, I love his game. He's tough, physical. He's a corner that was really challenged by opposing quarterbacks. I like his ball skills. I like his aggressiveness and willingness to fire up the field and defend the running plays or screen passes. I was a little bit concerned on film watching his speed because he seemed to struggle staying downfield with opponents. Now, people I've talked with say they like him a lot, and I'm told he's looked terrific during combine training. So we'll have to wait and see how he times in the 40. It could be a situation where he runs well in the 40 and just has to be coached to play to that speed on the field. And another thing with Williams, his speed may be a concern, but he's definitely a guy you're going to use close to the line of scrimmage. He's physical and tough, as you said. He's a cover two type of corner who may be able to, you know, have safety help over the top while he covers in the you know, short and intermediate field. Do you think that lack of speed is really going to hurt his draft stock unless he obviously totally bombs the 40-yard dash and some of the other drills, which would hurt his draft stock? But do you think maybe a 4-5 or or something like that type of time would really destroy Juwan Williams? 4-5 won't, but a 4-5-8 may. But the fact is this is, you know, you talk about helping the safety. Williams has got the size. He's got the aggressiveness. He's got all the skills that if you don't think you can use him at cornerback, you could kick him inside the safety, and I think he'd do as good a job. Now, enough about Williams. What about his teammate and fellow defensive back, Ladarius Wiley? Yeah, a guy who really pops off on the film. Very fast, very explosive up the field, very physical, throws his body around uh, to make plays. Ball skills are a little bit iffy, but I think he's a guy who can go in the late rounds for a team that wants to use him as a traditional strong safety or maybe use him in his own system as well as play special teams. 
And that's all for the 39th episode of The Draft Analysts, presented by the Believe Sports Podcast Network. Do you believe? If you're enjoying the show, please subscribe on any of the major podcast platforms and leave us a rating and a review. And feel free to ask us questions on Twitter that we'd be happy to answer on the show. We'll be back next week with more news on the draft and free agency, in addition to more film review. But for now, make sure you head over to draftanalyst.com for all the latest, including the aforementioned pre-combine grades from the SEC. There's a lot more than we talked about, and we definitely covered a lot as well. On behalf of Tony Pauline, I'm Chris Tricotti, and we'll see you next week.